Welcome to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Trasillo from NHS Somerset, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Dr. Peter Bagshaw, mental health lead at NHS Somerset. And another friend and colleague from a little further afield, Bristol, Dr. Ashish Bathia. Hello. <laughs> a very warm welcome to you. Thank you. I feel honoured. Thank you so much for joining us. Tell us a little bit about yourself, and we're going to talk about humble sleep, but talk. tell us a bit about yourself first, please. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I feel honoured to join you today. Um, my name's Ashish Bhatia, and I work as a GP, uh, which means gentle presence to me. Uh, so I endeavour to show up in my work. And and in that capacity, I, I, I work for the NHS as a GP, as well as teach at Bristol Medical School and uh, teach other clinicians and, and share a deep passion for sleep and nurturing our positive health. That's really interesting. I love GP gentle presence. Um, I, I've never realised that before, and I hope I've managed to do that over the years. And Peter, I'm sure you you hope you have as well. But what a great yes. thing. So um, you've you've got a particular interest in sleep. How did this come about? Oh, gosh. Um, I think it started originally when I worked in ITU and I would um, I was involved in the anaesthetics and assessing people. And I just was blown away by the beauty and elegance of sleep and uh, learned quite a lot about sleep and different states of consciousness. And uh, whilst I was uh, exploring some of those elements, uh, I noticed looking at the evidence um, how profound sleep was for our recovery. So I would encourage people in hospital to, to nurture their sleep and try and facilitate that. And then um, it was drawn into teaching at Bristol Medical School, particularly some a, a practice called whole person care. And sleep just seemed to, to be a thread that linked with the other aspects of nourishing ourselves well, relating well so I couldn't find an aspect which sleep did not touch um and then as a parent I realized how vital sleep was and developed lots of resources as well <laughs> and uh, I used to teach on the whole person care course uh with Trevor Thompson Ash I, I don't know if he, he he's still teaching people think that, that medics are just taught the, the basics and the physiology and anatomy and so on but we did try and produce rounded medical students who'd understand wider things. So I'm delighted that you enjoyed it too. Um, can I ask you a little bit about the basics of, of sleep before we get on to uh, the other issues? What do we know about the mechanics of sleep, the mechanics of consciousness? I think to a lot of people, it's still a bit of a mystery. It is a mystery and it is unfolding. And yet its elegance and its importance is becoming more apparent to us. Um, I mean, for many of us, sleep is something we have no awareness of because it sort of happens and we sort of take it for granted. And I, and I look at the clock in front of me and that 12 hour clock doesn't normally make us visually consider sleep in our lives. Um, and yet uh, I think of sleep uh, uh, with the analogy of, of a day on the beach. Um, so during the day, we go out on the beach, we make sandcastles and we spill our ice creams and the footprints are left behind. Um, but during the nighttime, for example, the tide would come in and that's when we become unconscious. However, sleep is not just about being unconscious. I can make you unconscious with a general anaesthetic, 
But sleep is the deep healing process that happened to every one of our cells, every organ system, while we're unconscious. So I think of that like the little crabs that go underneath the, the tide, underneath the, the, the um, level of the water, that are actually tiding up the beach. And it, that's why it's so vital we look after our sleep, because it's an active process that happens while we're unconscious. And something I didn't realise until I got interested in dementia is that we actually produce hormones, don't we, that help to heal our nerves while we sleep. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, and I, I could simplify it into sleep helps us live, forgive, learn and grow. So live in terms of our brains and our bodies are very active while we're sleeping and actually shift our personality shift and our brain shift. Um, and so our immune system wakes up and tidies up our body and repairs and our cells do their deep repair. You're exactly right about hormones. There is a fine orchestra that works while we're sleeping. And um, for example, growth hormone is released during the early deep phases of our sleep. And that is vital for our, our, our health and regeneration. Um, for example, uh, we know that people who sleep poorly are much more likely to struggle with obesity or diabetes because of shifts in their ghrelin and leptin levels, hormones that control appetite and hunger. Um, as well as, uh, you know, your ability to mount an immune response to an infection or respond to, for example, a COVID vaccination is massively improved if you improve the quality and the duration of sleep. Um, and then the forgive part, our mental health. This is, you know, an emotional health podcast. We know we do in a huge amount of our emotional processing and, and um, memory consolidation, particularly during the latter phases of sleep, the REM sleep. And so um, preserving that, um, and I, I call sleep humble because it's so important, yet it's, uh, it doesn't shout and it's often overlooked. But if we look after it, uh, uh, the impact on our health and performance are profound. And you talk about REM sleep for um, people who don't know, that's rapid eye movement sleep, isn't it? So that's the um, dreaming sleep, is that right? Yeah, so um, we we can um, think about sleep as occurring. Do you remember I mentioned beach and sleep comes in waves? We, we sleep in little bursts of 90 minutes and uh, over the night. So usually four or five bursts of those 90 minute ultradian cycles, they're called. And during that time, we're designed to wake up in between those waves. So it's totally healthy to wake up as long as you can get back to sleep again. And during each one of those waves of sleep, we have different qualities that become predominant. So during the first part of our night, we have the deep, clean sleep. So that's deep sleep where we're not very rousable. And then in the latter part of the night where we're, we're more likely to be woken up, we go into lighter sleep and that, that very active REM, rapid eye movement dream sleep, and they serve different purposes at different uh, different stages of the night. That's absolutely fascinating, and certainly I wasn't taught anything about that at medical school. And so, I don't I don't suppose I really used to ask my patients very much, "How are you sleeping?" But if you do ask the question, "How are you sleeping?" is is that a useful question to ask, uh, Ash? Yeah, well, I, I I think so. And I'm actually teaching this in Bristol Medical School. And there's actually an interesting paper looking back 
over 30 years saying on average we had about three minutes of sleep education in medical school and now it's two and a half minutes in most medical schools for the average doctor but things are changing in certain centers we're recognizing its value so it's unsurprising we're, we're slightly intimidated about asking about sleep because it's like opening a can of worms but my goal is to make that normal and and now at bristol we as part of the consultation we ask about how are you sleeping before we ask about are you a smoker because potentially more people are struggling with their sleep with as significant impact on their health and performance. And yet it is so easy to change. It is low lying fruit. And so if there was one thing I would invite us to do is to pause and ask ourselves or as clinicians, how are we sleeping? That open question is an invitation to be better at considering ourselves and self-caring. So if I answer you and say, Ash, normally I, I sleep pretty well, but after alcohol, I uh, and and this is only a half a pint of cider, my sleep is quite disturbed, um, and I like to go to bed quite early or sleep soon after ten. My wife doesn't sleep till eleven thirty or twelve. What what would you gain from that? She she reads luckily with a red red headlight uh, on her torch. It saved our marriage uh, rather than the bright white light. I have to say, what what would you say about my sleep and her sleep? Um, Instantly. Well, the first thing I'd just say, well done for thinking about it and noticing it. I'd love to positively affirm it so that it then becomes something we recognise and value. Um, the other thing I would say is that each of us is unique. So each of us is going to have different needs of sleep at different times and, and have our own um, chronobiology, our own time biology and our own body clocks. And, and for example, teens and older people tend to be night owls, whereas I'm an, I'm a lark. I'll naturally wake up at, at sort of 6 a.m. And so each of us is going to be unique. So working with your bed partners is really important. Um, the other thing that I would sort of um, share, which would be a number one top tip, is if you can set regular times that work for you, that set your prime times. There are four fact times that if you set them in the day can help set your body clock so your day goes well and your night goes well. Think of it like having a conductor that's synchronizing the orchestra of every cell in your body. And, and so the conductor would be, a, number one would be a regular wake up time. And if you can only vary it by about an hour a day, that will then set your, you up for success for the rest of the day and night. And I've got four times. They're your wake-up time, walk-out time, doing like Julie Andrews in The Sound of Music, getting up and getting daylight in the morning to set your body clock. And then wind-down time is ideally 90 minutes before bed because it takes 90 minutes for us to release melatonin properly. So we want the lights to go low before we become unconscious. And that's a starting gun for sleep. So when the lights go low and it gets cold, just like for millennia in our ancestors, when the sun sets, that's the trigger for getting to sleep. And then bedtime is where bed is just for sleep and snuggles and something else beginning with S. Um, and that's where you kind of preserve the quality and the quantity of your sleep. And so many people say they struggle with sleep now, don't they? It's something that we all see as GPs. Do you think it's actually got worse recently because 
we all just look at the telly or play on our iPhones or have, have people always had this and we're just more aware of it? Um, there, there's strong evidence to show that we sleep about two hours less than our grandparents did. It just purely in duration, not including the quality. And it, it's no one's fault. It's just our environment has changed such that we have artificial lighting that blocks the melatonin. We also have um, phones that mean our brains are continuously on call. We also have stimulants more readily available that switch on two chemicals that I call the on switch, which are orexin and noradrenaline. And they're natural, they're waking us up when we need to wake up. But the problem is, it's so much harder to switch them off because we get less breaks in the day. And so we're less practiced at just being able to rest and switch off our brains. And that's why, you know, insomnia has become an epidemic that kind of having time in bed, but your brain being tired and wired and unable to switch it off. Interesting. So we're not getting the quality, probably, and certainly not the quantities that our, that our grandparents did. I read a book many years ago by called Lights Out by T.S. Wiley, which said basically electricity and electric light has, has pushed us all away from getting up an hour or two before dawn into um, certainly staying awake several hours after dusk. But if, if that's part of the problem, um, Ash, are there any solutions? Are there any humble solutions? Are there any simple solutions? Um, yes, and overwhelmingly, I want to, uh, people to know that we can sleep better. Repeatedly, I've seen from the groups I've been running in general practice and the people I've supported is that we can sleep better. So that's number one I want people to know. Um, and then when you do, you'll just spring out of bed and life will feel better as well. It's just so it's a no brainer to do it. Um, and in terms of resources, you don't have to remember very much. Um, if you go to a website called humblesleep.com, if you scroll down to the bottom of the page, there are two free PDFs. One has got a sleep tracker and tips for individuals to improve their quality of sleep so they can get the bound, basic foundations in place, as well as how to manage insomnia better with links to free resources. Um, and uh, underneath that, there's tips for practitioners to help those you care for as well. So two PDFs there. But if I could make it really simple, it's about getting our lefts right. So our, our biochemistry and our body, body clocks is regulated by five key factors that I call your lefts. And they are light, exercise, food, temperature, and soothing. And each of those are called Zeitgebers. And if you can set them up so they follow in that sequence over the course of a normal day, and think of it like a little treasure hunt, you collect them during the course of the day. And, and being realistic, you won't necessarily get all five every day, but by trying to get those in place, you're then changing, making it easy to get the good quality and quantity of sleep. So it's a bit like sort of putting investments in the in the deposit account or in the bank in order to try and help sleep go better. Yeah, and, and they are intrinsically entwined with your mental well-being, with your social well-being, and dare I say, your spiritual well-being too. That sounds great. And can I just clarify that um, none of us are getting any sort of financial or other reward for the, the recommendations we're making uh, here as, as in any of our podcasts? Is, is that right, Ash? Yeah, I mean, I, I do have a private insomnia service that I run, but in my 
in my general practice, I run free sleep groups. And um, so if I can declare, Humble is an organisation that does help me pay some bills. But there's loads of free resources that I put there as the first line. It's just sometimes that personal connection can help with some of the psychology that's um, challenging for insomnia. Because alas, um, sleep hygiene alone does not improve insomnia for most people. Because the issue is that trying to sleep actually releases more orexin that wakes their brain up more. So it's all about how does one work with un our unconscious ability to, to release and let go. Ash, that's great. And I, I know from hearing you and meeting you that um, uh, on stage in London at the uh, in, the, um, the Conference on Integrated and Personalised Medicine, you held a room of 200 of us uh, on stage with a just fascinating presentation for, for 20 minutes on sleep. What other key points would you like to share with us that we haven't looked at yet? Well, um, I, I, I suppose um, that um, it, it's a kind, no act of kindness is wasted <laughs> would be the number one. So um, if you can start where you are and just give yourself that little bit of kindness and just say, OK, how am I sleeping? And just look at your sleep and maybe talk to someone about it. That would be great. And it's like the weather. I've let to find someone who hasn't got a sleep story. If you wanted to nurture positive sleep, please feel free to download that free PDF and, and, and realise that information alone does not change our habits. It's useful to have prompts and things that trigger our motivation. So maybe picture what you would do if you had a bit more energy and then see if you could tick some of those boxes just to get a checklist and have a set it aside as a project for a week or two. Um, and then... If you were struggling with sleep and you wanted a little bit more help, perhaps have a chat with your, your, your GP or there's a free app and links that you, on that PDF that you can access there. And then the final thing I'd love to just quickly mention um, is um, shift workers. We know many of us are shift workers without realising, and that means we're awake when our body is really suggesting we should be asleep and doing its healing. And um, again, there's a free resource that's downloadable for shift workers. I really want to help my other professionals, you know, the doctors and the fire service and the nurses and everyone who's keeping us healthy, uh, but taking a hit on our behalf. We know that the dangers of shift working for your health are, complete, are pretty much completely reversible if you can optimise your lifestyle factors. And so uh, please um, look at the PDF if you're a shift worker, because there's no reason why you, you should struggle. That's really great to hear and very practical advice for people. You, you've used the word humble. Uh, and I'm often made humble in these podcasts because I realize that advice I've been giving out as a GP for years and years is completely wrong. So I, I've often been persuaded to prescribe uh, drugs for insomnia, which I'm sure you, you've got views on. Um, but when I try not to do that, I point people to the NHS website that talks about sleep hygiene. And you've just told us that that's no good either. So do you, do you want to uh, tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so sleep hygiene alone is not necessarily effective for people with insomnia. And we know insomnia affects 
minimum of 10, but potentially about 50% of us, certainly 46% of health professionals report insomnia. Um, And that's where you need to address some of the deeper psychological aspects. But for all of us, if we live well, we will benefit. And you need that as a foundation. Um, And there there are, um, on the PDF that's there for health practitioners, I, I have some top tips about asking about scams or aiming for no scams. And that's an acronym for nicotine, alcohol, um, sugar, uh, and sedatives. So those those Z drugs can make you unconscious, but actually block the healing quality of sleep. And so that that's the problem with those Z drugs. They make you unconscious and it can tip you in the balance. But the problem is they actually block the healing qualities of sleep that, you know, wash out some of the dementia-causing chemicals in our brains. Um, And then caffeine, we know, lingers in our system. So if you drink a cup of tea at midday, 12 hours later, say at midnight, it's like having a quarter of a cup of tea or coffee and trying to get to sleep in your system. So it does linger and, again, disrupts the architecture of our sleep. And then, um, yeah, and uh, sorry, I've I've forgotten where I was now. Uh, (laughs) Um, yeah, and then screens in bed was the last one. Yeah, so um, which unfortunately hyperstimulates our brain if we do have screens. Even if you've got a phone turned off in your bedroom, there's some evidence that 15% of the quality of our sleep is disrupted because our brain unconsciously thinks there's a tiger in the village because we're on call. And also, most modern phones, I, I've, I do have a Nokia in my in a drawer at home as well, but most modern phones actually do emit because they update apps every so often. So although it's, although it's not light. And alcohol, of course, is a sedative, but the body produces melatonin to, uh, sorry, um, produces glutamate as a, um, as a response to that. And so the glutamate time course production actually often exceeds the alcohol metabolism. So three o'clock in the morning, wide awake, ping. Um, Ash, how important is the physical environment in the bedroom, Um, such as temperature, such as pillows, such as good quality mattresses, blackout blinds? And uh, I don't know if you'd like to comment on that, please. Yeah, all of those uh, are about re-establishing the environment that we've evolved over millennia to be in, where sleep, uh, the bed space is um, is specifically just for sleep and snuggles. Any other activity, including worrying that you're awake, should ideally be done in another environment, even if it's a cushion off the bed. Um, uh, and uh, if you can preserve that, then your brain doesn't associate being in bed with being awake. The other factor that's really important, you mentioned is temperature, and you're exactly right. We're designed like this, as the sun sets for things to get dark and our core temperature to drop. And in the dropping of our core temperature, we have a big surge in that melatonin. So that's why with babies, we give them a hot bath to go to bed. You might be scratching your head, why hot baths before they go to bed? But the idea is that when they get in the hot bath, they feel all relaxed. They can't do anything other than play in the bath. So they release and move their body, which that muscle activity increases into leukin 15 release, which gets us into deep sleep. And then the other factor is the hot water causes the blood to go into our skin. And then when they get out of their bath, they radiate all that lovely heat. And then they have a sip of cold water just a little sip, and then their core temperature drops. Big surge of melatonin, and off they go into la-la land. 
Brilliant. That that's a that's absolutely great. Our producer David is asking about the amount of sleep that we need. And I, I know there's there's I think it's now proven, isn't it, that when we're teenagers we need more sleep and we need less sleep as we get older. Do you want to say a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean again, each person is unique, but there are kind of um there's a kind of bell-shaped curve with normal expectations. And the current guidance is ideally to try and as an adult to get more than seven hours. We know that there's an association with getting less than six hours and many chronic diseases. Um, However, it's not specific for every single person. Uh, The other paradox I'm just going to mention is a lot of people with insomnia worry they're not getting enough sleep. But interestingly, people with insomnia have been tracked and on the whole are getting better sleep than the average person because they prioritise their sleep and they're getting the deep sleep in, even though they might struggle at other times. Um, And so um, children, certainly on the whole, more than 10 hours, uh, but um, it varies from person to person. Um, um, And there was one thing I was hoping to mention, which was um, a free sort of resource on, on the Humble website, which can help you if you struggle with waking up and getting back to sleep. And and that is a breathe button that's there. So on the top right-hand corner of the home screen, of the top nav bar, there's a little breathe button. And I dare you to go and try it. It takes 30 seconds, but it's got a combination of breathing exercises where you breathe through your nose and trigger the same processes that babies use to go back to sleep. So babies, after they've had a good cry, they breathe in through their nose really deeply. Pause and then exhale. And if, as they do that, they release a big surge of a neurotransmitter called GABA, which is is like the pause button on the brain. And it's also called the sleep switch. So it helps people transition back into sleep again if they wake up. So if you wanted to, just try that and practice it at those four times when you wake up, walk out, wind down at bedtime, and then you sweep up those circuits. It's all rehearsed, ready for if you wake up at night. This is absolutely fascinating, Ash. Um, And I I was slightly concerned earlier to hear that the time spent for the average medical student learning about sleep is two and a half minutes. And I'm, I'm well aware that our profession are slightly conservative sometimes. So when we're given information about something that we think we might know a lot about, but we don't actually know anything about, we, we tend to challenge it. How do you find the medical profession um, in in sort of terms of being receptive to this information? Uh, uh, there's a hunger. There's such a hunger. It's, it is changing. So that was in the past, but it is changing now. For example, the Royal Society have just invited me to present this new sleep tool um, in September, and uh, so I'm quite excited to share these resources. It, it's rising in the dialogue, so it's now part of, of the typical medical consultation. Uh, and people are asking us for it in, in our conversations that we have. And, uh, and we know now that it's so much more effective than many of the prescriptions we can prescribe. But um, the challenge is how do we make it uh, easy, appealing, supported, and affirming for the individual to make those changes. But, but the nice thing is, uh, I'm I'm being approached, so I know there's a hunger there. So I'm, I'm that you invited me to come is really supportive in in that goal. So thank you for that. 
Well, we're always ahead of the field, Ash. You can rely on that. <laughs> Sadly, we're going to have to put our podcast to bed, aren't we? lovely lovely i think we've just about run out of time so we need to dim the lights and what else do we need to do well maybe give yourself a nice cuddle release some oxytocin before bed um there are lots of other bits and pieces that you can do but if there was just one thing because i want it to be easy is maybe um when you brush your teeth in the morning just take a nice deep breath in through your nose just like i was saying and then exhale, and then just ask yourself, how am I sleeping? And that's it. And if you can do that one thing, that will be a gateway and cascade onto, I'm, I'm hoping, a wonderful night's sleep and a wonderful day. Ash, thank you so much for taking us on a real exploration of a, a topic that's so important to us. And uh, most of us, when asked how we are, say we're fine. So we ignore our health anyway. Many of us mortgage our sleep. And you've shown us not only how important it is to take it seriously, but you've taken us into the science of what's happening during sleep. And some really sensible and relatively simple approaches that can make it better. So Let's hope this helps lots of people be healthy. And humblesleep.com is your website with some great resources on. We'll put some information in the show notes. Ash, thank you so much for giving up your time and coming and joining us today. Well, thank you. I feel honoured. And uh, to get to hang out with, you know, wise guys like you as well, that I have lots to learn. So I really appreciate that too. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ash. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening and go well. You've been listening to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. The show was hosted by our team of doctors, including Dr. Andrew Tresida, Dr. Peter Bagshaw, and Dr. Sarah Coop. The show was produced by Rob Holmes Music on behalf of the NHS Somerset Integrated Care Board.